those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in heaps of grain, and loading them on donkeys, and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods, and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates, that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Uh, well, I'm trapped. <coughs> I think I'm trapped. Um, and uh, welcome to Urban Church. Uh, thanks for um, being here. This morning, uh, we're in a, a, a great series, I think, on Nehemiah, and before we even get into it, let me just uh, pray for us this morning. Jesus, thank you again for your word. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have gathered us. Thank you for your word. And now as we open up your word, Jesus, I would ask that you somehow uh, reveal to us truth through this ancient word. That you would open our own hearts. Um, you know my own heart in this Jesus today is uh, not heavy, but I'm, I'm struggling as much as anyone else through this Jesus. So I, I ask that you would uh, speak clearly through me today. Um, and that for those of us who are here who are hearing some of these things for the first time perhaps, would you again, Jesus, teach us well. Um, for your name's sake and for your glory, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in a series on Nehemiah uh, called Magnificentus, and really this series is all about uh, the story of Nehemiah, how Nehemiah really begins um, his uh, kind of, this, when we find out about the story of Nehemiah, it's quite a bit into his life. And Nehemiah is this uh, Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, who was actually working in a strange land called Persia. And in a strange land, he, he gets the heart of God given to him. I believe it really is almost quite literally the heart of Jesus uh, that comes to him in, in a very unique way. His heart is broken for his hometown because what has happened is his hometown of Jerusalem has lied in ruins for almost 140 years. And for those 140 years, uh, no one has really come forward and, and really been part of this rebuilding project. And so Nehemiah, who has his heart broken by Jesus, uh, returns to 
this capital city of Israel and begins to rebuild it. That's the short version. If you want more version, there's lots of stuff out there, information that can give you that uh, information. But this, the book of Nehemiah is chronicling this whole uh, process by which Nehemiah goes through and rebuilds the wall. And that's why we've got this super duper cool um, kind of backdrop here of cinder blocks. Uh, isn't it amazing? Uh, those who do the setup and the takedown can't wait for this series to finish because those are real cinder blocks that are heavy and we literally pile them up and back down every week. Um, but that, that wall symbolizes so many things because this story is not really just about rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. The story is about rebuilding the people of Israel. And there's some really interesting things that happen in this and there's some really devastating things that have happened in this. And Nehemiah has faced a tremendous amount of opposition. So I'm, I'm catching you a little bit up to speed to where we are because we're almost finished. Some of you are like, cannot wait for this series to finish. I know I'm one of those people that's like, I like the new best thing, right? I like the new thing, so I'm ready to go to Proverbs already. But hang in there. We've got two really important things to talk about as we uh, close this off. And as Nehemiah faces this opposition, um, he gets a, a number of people that are in great opposition to them, one of them being Sanballat. That's an important name for our story this morning because of something we find in chapter 13. Um, at, the, at the end of rebuilding the wall, Nehemiah has this big ceremony. The people covenant with God that they will never disobey him again. Um, this is indicative of every covenant, like the small children or you perhaps, that said, God, if you do this one thing, I will never disobey you again. Who's ever made a covenant like that with God? If you come through on this, God, I will never, ever disobey you on that again. Oh, wait a second. I just disobeyed. Um, that's how quickly it usually happens, right? It took a little bit while longer for those in Israel. Uh, actually, we don't know how long it took. We just know that 12 years later, um, Nehemiah has actually returned. That's chapter 13. He has returned to Jerusalem. So some year, somewhere between like about the two-year mark and the 12-year mark, Nehemiah heads back to his home job. Uh, for some reason, the king of Persia has given him total favor, and he's sent him away, continued to pay him, and said, you can have your job back when you come back from rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is back in uh, the capital city of Persia, working for the king. He's the cupbearer of the king, very important trusted position. And he comes back then to Jerusalem, and he says to the king, uh, can you give me some time off? Can you give me a little vacation so that I can go and do a situation report, sit rep, on what's happening in Jerusalem at the time? The king, again, is giving him great favors. Says, sure, you can go back and see what's happening. And at the beginning of chapter 13, we see Nehemiah on a mission to come back, and he has to, actually has to reform the people again. So in chapter 10, we have the people totally committed. We have the people giving to their church. We have the people uh, setting aside the Sabbath. We have the people obeying the word of God. We have the people not giving themselves to intermarriage amongst the other nations, other worshipers of God. And he leaves, they come back, and he's got to basically clean house. He literally has to clean house. At the beginning of chapter 13, what actually happens is uh, this... Um, Basically, he's anti-Nehemiah. 
for the duration of the book, and Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem to actually find that Sambalet has taken up shop inside of the temple. Uh, this, this has two issues for the people, because the temple had specific rooms that were there to collect the tithes that would have supplied, the, the basically, that was the funding for the priests at the time. Okay, so there were special rooms that you would collect all kinds of harvested corn and whatever they, they did. I don't know if corn was part of it then, sorry. Um, I'm, I'm not getting my uh, stuff right. But they collected uh, the grains, they collected all kinds of things that would have provided the, um, basically the income for all priests. Uh, only priests, though, only those of Levite descent could actually do this, and, and the problem was is that Sanballat was not of Levite descent, so we've got a non-Levite shocking up inside of the temple. And when Nehemiah comes back, he gets angry, he gets very angry, he probably points his finger like our friend Josh here at him, and he says, you don't belong in the temple. But he doesn't punch him or punch him in the throat or pull his hair yet. That comes later in the chapter. That's next week. Next week, by the way, we've got a certain amount of hair pulling. You're going to want to come back to that. Um, but he literally takes his Ikea furniture and he throws it all out on the street. He says, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to deal with sin. Now, I, I give you that background because this passage is not isolated from that. This is the continuation of Nehemiah dealing with sin. Last week was a very heavy week. Last week was a very forceful week. I know that. I understand that. Last, last week was a very difficult week because the thrust of the message was we cannot allow sin to simply deal, to be in our lives. We've got to deal with it ruthlessly. Uh, ruthlessly. There we go. Uh, we've got to deal with it. Uh, we've got to punch it in the face, so to speak, with the truth of the gospel. Uh, this week is a little bit softer in the sense we're going to talk about rest. It's hard to talk forcefully about rest, right? <laughs> I know, I get that. But it's in the same vein. So there are issues in Nehemiah's kind of group of people that he's preaching to that he says, if you don't deal with this, you're going to incur God's wrath again. You're going to incur God's discipline. And so we're going to talk this morning about something called the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath is not a word that we often use. I have used it a few times. I'm just assuming today there's not a lot of pre-knowledge about what's going on with the Sabbath. Uh, this is not simply because I don't think we have information, but because we live in a city that loves to work. Amen? Some of you are not here this morning because you love to work. You will hear this later on the, uh, on the website. You're not here because you're working right now. We live in a city that loves to work. We live in a city that has a hard time saying no to work. Plus, we live in a culture that has a hard time saying no or resting in anything. Have you noticed that around you? Have you noticed how often you instinctively have to have your phone around you? Have to be in contact with someone? Have to check emails? Have you noticed that about your own life? Have you noticed how difficult it is to put your phone down for like two seconds? Some of you are on your phone right now, I can hear it. <laughs> we live in that kind of a culture, we live in that kind of a city, and I fully expect that as we talk about Sabbath, as we talk about rest, this will not just sound like a foreign concept to us, it will be a foreign concept for us to work out in our lives. I fully expect that. 
So what's happening? Uh, let me describe the situation that's going on in Nehemiah. He makes his tour of duty through Jerusalem. He continues to bring reform to the city that he loves. And uh, he realizes that the people have not Sabbathed properly. He realizes that the people have not Sabbathed properly. Uh, Sabbath is an interesting uh, word. It comes from the Jewish word Shabbat, which, which essentially means rest. Um, or, or to stop in some ways. But for all Jews, the, the Sabbath literally meant this. One day a week, they stopped working. And they focused their attention upon God, the creator and sustainer and provider. One day a week. Um, there was no buying, trading, selling. I'll get into this a little bit later on and how legalistic this at times appeared. But essentially for all Jews, that's what it was about. So when Nehemiah goes back in, uh, there's a couple things I want you to know. Number one is that they made a promise to God to Sabbath again. And here's what's strange is that when you look and read through the Old Testament, you will be amazed how many times God gets really angry at his people, disciplines them as a direct result that they ignore the Sabbath. It's fascinating. You look even in places like Isaiah where it's like, what's the real problem here? Why really have you not come and power God? And he says, because you refuse the Sabbath. Because you disobey the Sabbath. I'm not going to get into a, a huge argument today about um, whether or not the Sabbath still exists in the same way for us. I will say yes and no. There's reasons why I, I think that, um, partially because I, I think we're, we need to understand what's at the heart of Sabbath, but at the same time we need to understand what the Bible says about the importance of Sabbath. So some of you are, are already thinking like this is suggestion. And we'll get into that in a bit, but no, it's not. No, it's not. It's actually one of the commands. And we'll, we'll get into that. But the Jewish people at the time, the people in Israel that Nehemiah is, is speaking to, do not see it as suggestion. They understand it as being extremely important. Uh, and a command from God. To help people, God began to put strict parameters around this day. He wanted a day created where um, he, they would rest in him. But you know, there's always loophole people. Do you know those people? Are you one of those persons who's a loophole person? Uh, recently, I signed up with Cardigo. Don't judge me. I, I can't afford to fix my vehicle, okay? Uh, but right away, right away, Whenever one, someone asks me about this, the, the rules of Cardigo, okay, it's a membership that you pay and, and whatever. Whenever someone asks me about my membership with Cardigo, do you know what they're looking for? They're looking for loopholes around the system where they can somehow steal these little smart cars for free and take them to bed. Every time I talk, I, I, I talk about it, it's like, well, what about this? Well, what about this? Because that's the kind of people we are, aren't we? We're the loophole people. So if God says... Don't work for a day. If we're loophole people, what do we do? Well, what's work mean? Well, let me find, well, that's not really work, so, I, you know, technically this, that's the way we work. Right? That's the way we work. That's the way we run our lives. We are loophole people. 
And so this has always been a problem for Israel. It's like, well, but what about that? Well, what, you know, it's, it's always the excuse. God says, look it, you're supposed to rest in me. That's the point. You're supposed to, like, get re-engaged with me in a relationship. You're not supposed to just think about all the loopholes. And that's what had happened. And so there was a loophole that said, well, we need to buy and trade things. Um, well, we've got people uh, that aren't Jewish, that what do, what do we do when they sell their stuff? So that was part of the text, right? I found out that uh, I found out that they had been treading wine presses. They had been making wine. Grape juice, for those of you with those convictions. Wine press, right? Well, just didn't have a wine press in those days. But they had been making wine press, they had been treading wine presses, they had been bringing in heaps of grain, they had other people from other areas, the, the Tyrians, the Tyrians, uh, those were people who didn't worship the God of the Bible, but they probably had stuff to sell, and it was probably pretty good. So, again, there's a loophole here. Well, if we don't let these guys sell their stuff on this day, we'll probably miss out on this. So, again, Nehemiah comes in, and he says, well, not on my watch. And he said, I warned them. I warned them on the day when they sold food. Uh, what is this evil thing that you're doing, profaning the Sabbath? Didn't this happen already? Did, aren't you in this whole thing because you profaned the Sabbath? That's what Nehemiah says. Didn't you get into this whole exile business? Didn't Jerusalem get uh, ransacked by Babylon because you guys would not listen to this whole issue of Sabbath? And so he warns them. He says, you're going to bring more wrath on Israel by profane. In less than ten years, these people had totally forgotten it. And as soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem, he says, I commanded that the doors be shut, because he knew there were loophole people. He knew there were people that weren't going to obey this. So he's like, tell you what, Sunday or Sabbath is your training day for, for all Jews. It would have been Saturday. So Friday night, he's like, shut the gates. You're not even getting into the city to set up your little farmer's market. Okay? We're not going to do that. And then what happens? Loophole people. They sit and they, they sit outside the gates. So on, on Saturday morning when they open up, they'll kind of sneak their way in. So he warns them again. I commanded that the doors be shut and guarded by the, uh, by the Levites. And I stationed some of my ser servants at the gate that no load may be brought in on the Sabbath day. And the merchants and the sellers of all kinds lodged outside of Jerusalem once or twice. Because Nehemiah is a fairly intimidating guy. And you can just see Nehemiah there, arms crossed. He's like, nah. You're not going to camp. You're going to pull out your neck tent and camp outside of the city and, and loophole your way through this. He's like, I'm warning you. What does he say? I will lay hands on you. Like, few of us are scared by that unless you're seven. Right? When you're seven and your dad says, I will lay hands on you, that's what it actually means. I will lay some hands on you. Nehemiah is not afraid of conflict. He's not afraid of throwing things. Turns out he's not afraid of pulling hair. And he does it. He says, this is the last time you camp out here and look for this loophole on the Sabbath. I will make sure somehow that this is paid attention to. 
Now, interestingly enough, Nehemiah would not receive anything back from, from, from them keeping the Sabbath around Israel. He's over in Persia. But why does Nehemiah call that? Because essentially, Nehemiah is the governor, and he's in charge of this, and he's accountable to God for this. Now, that's the story. He says, remember me, God. Remember that I was willing to lay hands on these people for disobeying. Now, I think at this point, some of you have already checked out and said, that's a story for them and not for us. But I have to ask, as even Pete said this morning, we're concerned actually more about the health of this church than the growth of this church. That as we move forward but neglect God's word on this issue, I wonder if God will be with us. It's very easy for us as a church that's wanting to aggressively pursue church planting, that's want to aggressively pursue more people coming to Jesus. Just so you know, there's a lot of stuff involved in doing that. It takes a lot of energy and effort. But if I believe if we have a church, uh, a number of churches, but they're filled with people that disregard the Sabbath, I don't think God will be pleased with us. Because the Sabbath digs in at who we worship, and it digs a lot deeper into our lives as to what really matters in our life. And see, for God, he's never more impressed with the outcome than he is in the way that you get there. Actually, it's the other way around. God rarely says, worry about the outcome. He says, I'm more worried about how you get there. You let me worry about the outcome. And so what Sabbath does is it reorders our whole lives. Because we believe here at Urban Grace that when you become a Christian, when you turn your life over to Jesus Christ, you don't just simply do it for a service or a city group. You do it for all of life. So when you become a Christian, you say, I believe in Jesus Christ. What you are saying is, let me define what we understand a Christian to be is someone who lets Jesus Jesus order their life completely in every area. Someone who, now Jesus is in charge of their wallets. Now Jesus is in charge of their relationships. Now Jesus is in charge in, the, in what they think about God. And Jesus is in charge of their time. Not just how effectively you use your time, but what you actually do with your time. And I will always say this over and over again, you'll hear this over and over again at Urban Grace, there are really two main factors by which I think Jesus has given to us that we begin to see who or what we worship, and that is, take a careful look at your wallet, take a careful look at your schedule, and you will find where your heart is. What you spend your money on is where your heart is. Where you spend your time is where your heart is. Some of you say, well, I, you, know, I, I, you know, does that not allow me to work? I work more than I, I play, so that means work is more important. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just in general. However you order your time, the most important thing to you will always show up the most on your schedule. I would say, especially with your spare money, whatever you spend your extra money on besides your living, that's really where your heart is going. Now, what does Jesus say? What does God say about our time? 
He says, I get a portion of that. In fact, what he says is, I've got one day a week, and then I'm going to give you six other days by which you can accomplish things. But I want one day a week that's dedicated to me. So what, how do we define Sabbath? Let's start here. Okay? Sabbath is the Christian's declaration of freedom. This is what Sabbath does. When Israel was given the Sabbath principle, it was on the heels of getting out of Egypt. And it was a definitive reminder that Israel was no longer a slave to Egypt. This is so cool about God. So we've got Israel that's under slavery from Egypt. That's all they do is work all day. Work, 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 work. And when God removes them and he delivers them from slavery, what's one of the first things he gives to them is the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments he said, you will order your schedule around me. And this will declare that you are not a slave anymore to Egypt. You are free in God. In the same way, the New Testament concept of Sabbath is intended to remind us that Christians do not belong to the world or the world's mission. That we do not belong to our job, we belong to God and we have a job. Some of us are so confused by this. We do not belong to the world's mission. We do not belong to the way the world functions. Yes, we have to negotiate how that looks. Absolutely. But if this, this declaration, if we're not declaring this with our life, now let me pause here and just say, I'm horrible at this, by the way. I'm preaching to me as much as anyone else. Can I just say that? Can I just pause and say, this is, this is the greatest area of sin in my life today disregarding this. So when I'm preaching from conviction, I am speaking directly to myself as a fellow traveler with you that is wrestling through this very thing. And so what I'm saying is, when I don't Sabbath, I'm not I'm declaring that I belong to someone else's mission, my own. When I do Sabbath, I am saying with my schedule, I'm declaring I am a free person under God. I am His I'm not a slave to my mission. I am a co-missionary with his people for him. Sabbath, even the way that it's designed, it removes us from so many cares of the world. So, so few of us are, are kind of reordered, and all it takes is a little bit of space where we just think for a bit. You ever notice how um, we don't have snow days here because we're such a workaholic um, city, uh, plus there's never enough snow and we're not scared of that. But you ever notice how like, you get sick for one day and you realize you're not all that much needed anyway? <laughs> you ever notice that? It's strange, eh? You feel like you are the center of the universe and then one sick day and the whole world goes on without you. And people don't even miss you. You ever leave your phone or, or the battery goes dead and you're like, I can't wait to charge that battery because like all kinds of people may be getting in contact with me. And then you recharge it and there's absolutely no text. You're like, did you guys forget about me? This recently happened. And I'm like, I, I, thought, I thought it was 
way more important than that. <laughs> and when we do this with their, with their schedule, it, it removes us from this. It's a declaration. I'm not a slave to this. I don't work for this. This doesn't order my life. Many of us won't Sabbath because we don't want to declare our freedom in Christ. We don't want to declare that. We've got tasks to complete. We've got errands to run. We've got money to make. But just like Sabbath for Israel is a way of declaring their freedom, Sabbath for us is a way of declaring to our world, no, you don't run me. You don't order my life, God does. Secondly, Sabbath is an act of trust, because it will take trust. I know there are a lot of things to work out in this. I understand that. But Sabbath is meant to help us with trust and faith in God. You know why this is so important? Sabbath is designed for this, to help us with trust. Did you know that the Bible says you cannot please God without faith? Did you know that? So if God designed something as like a... a a gift-wrapped gift to help you learn how to trust more. So many of us just ignore it. Just say, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. But the Bible says, nothing, you can obey God completely, but if it's, out of, if it's without faith, you do not please Him. This is a strange thing to hear for us, isn't it? You, you can follow this, but if it's not without trusting and believing in God, it is not pleasing to Him. For most of us, we struggle to, to Sabbath for that exact reason. We don't trust, and we don't want to trust, and we don't want to learn how to trust. We can't Sabbath because we trust what people think of us and texting us more than setting that aside for a season. We trust the money that we could make more than we do in God's hands. But the same principle for Sabbathing every week is the same principle by which we give. Do you give when you have enough money? But let me back this up. For those of you who have children, how many people have you heard say to you, uh, wait until you have all the money you need before you have children? Has anyone ever said that to you? Have you ever heard that advice? Wait until you have all the money that you need before you have children. Is that the right advice that you generally hear? <coughs> Wrong. It's the opposite advice of what you generally hear. You hear, have kids and you will find a way to get money. In other words, Sabbath, Sabbath as a way to help you deal with your trust rather than trying to figure out how you get trust before you Sabbath. So it's kind of built in, it's kind of rigged this way. And this definition of Sabbath, I think, is so important for us to get. I'm hoping by the end of it, we all long to want a Sabbath. We all want it. We deeply desire this, this rest in God. So what are some principles? Let's go there. Sabbath principles. Number one, the Sabbath is a command, not an option. We have often viewed our understanding of Sabbath as a suggestion that God gives us, but it is not a suggestion. This is not actually something that we can negotiate. 
If I told you, if we're doing a series on the Ten Commandments, and I told you all, try not to commit adultery or murder people, but if you do, like, it's, it's okay, it's just kind of up to you, you would say, that's not a correct understanding of the Ten Commandments. Like, if I told you, I'm kind of struggling with murder, you guys. I killed a couple of people last week, but I'm really, this next week, I'm going to probably kill a lot less. What would you think of me? Or, or even something simple, lie. And I lied ten times, I'm going to cut that down, I'm going to manage this thing, I'm going to lie 50% less this week to you. <laughs> We're looking for a new pastor. <laughs> but it's funny how when it comes to Sabbath, and I say I'm struggling with Sabbath, no one said to me, you really need to get a hold of this in your life. Because we, as a culture, have treated this like an option. Like, this is not really important to us. Like, this is not really Scripture. And when you look through the Scripture, Jesus never, he, he never once said the Sabbath is no longer. He, the only thing he said, he's reoriented what, what Sabbath was really about. But even in the New Testament, Jesus kept the Sabbath. When he didn't keep it, he didn't keep the rabbinical laws around it, but he kept the Sabbath. He didn't destroy the Sabbath. He didn't take it away. He left it intact. In fact, in Hebrews, actually what we find is that Sabbath is a helpful principle for us to, to keep intact, to understand heaven. Because heaven, in the book of Hebrews, is described as the ultimate Sabbath. We will work for six days on earth, and then on our seventh day we will enjoy an eternal Sabbath. That's how the book of Hebrews describes Sabbath. And so I just, I, you know, I want to be part of, of reminding you, this is not a negotiable issue for us. I have sinned so badly in this area because I, for far too long, considered it an option. I considered it a good principle that God wanted me to implement in my life to have a better life. And I think I mistook and I misunderstood what Sabbath was about. Secondly, Sabbath means to stop. Sabbath means to stop. This is hopefully getting more practical for you. Sabbath means to stop. Mark Don, in her book on the Sabbath, writes, Cease working on the Sabbath means to quit laboring at anything that is work. Do you hear that? Quit working for a day. Quit working for a day. One day a week. One out of seven. You notice I haven't said which day Sabbath is yet, because I think, honestly, under New Covenant, we have some some variables here that we can work out. But there is freedom here. And there's other principles that will help with this. This is really difficult for us as a principle to understand because of something, though, that I, I think management guru Peter Drucker has, has informed us even a hundred years ago. We're now in an, a, a day and an age where the primary workforce is knowledge work. What I mean by that is that uh, very simple. If 100 years ago you were a farmer, you could tell really easily when you started working, when you stopped working, right? Even today, if you do something like you roof or you frame for a living. Any, anybody in construction here? 
right? You can tell very easily when you start work and when you finish work. And to be honest, there's not a great struggle with when you finish your work, whether you still think about that work. There's no struggle for some of us, right? Five o'clock comes, we're done our work, boom. We don't think about it again. This is no issue for us. When we have a day off that we don't roof, we don't wonder, like, well, what does a day off of not roofing look like? Everyone knows what that looks like. You don't get on a roof. It's kind of that simple. But many of you are not in those areas. You're in knowledge work. You deal with things like finances. You return emails. You don't have regular hours. You manage people. You work with people. Where does that start and stop? Yes, this is why it's so difficult of a principle for us to implement in our societies, because there are some serious difficulties with understanding where the line is. This is probably why I wrestle with it so much. What is work? So if someone texts me about a church issue, is that work? Or what if a friend texts me and says, what did you think of the Blue Jays game? Is that work? Because it's with someone in my church. I've wrestled with it. I generally, uh, I'm learning to take texts from close friends. Ironically, some of my close friends are in church leadership. So occasionally, I've got a text about an issue that has wound me so tight, even though it's from my friend. Because it's really about a work issue. And I've had difficulty in, in disengaging and stopping work. So I'm not saying this is not going to come out with some kind of pain. But we've got to understand some parameters. Some of you are like, well, is it a full 24-hour period? Honestly, just ask yourself this question. Are you that loophole person? Is that why you're asking the question? Because you're looking for a loophole? I really like to squeeze in six and a half days of work. Are you saying, can I Sabbath for maybe half a day a week? I'm like, you're not getting it. We're not getting it when we think like that. When we're looking for loopholes around this, we've missed what God is trying to do for us. Sabbath means to stop. You will be surprised the way that God wires you, that if you stop one day a week, it is amazing how refreshed and effective your six other days are. All, it happens to me all the time. Sabbath means to stop. It doesn't mean to slow down a bit. It means cut it off. And ask yourself, why are, what, what are the reasons you can't stop for one day a week? What? What is it? Is it your, your idolatry, your hunger for work, for more money, for a great position? Are you trying to move up the chain? And it will get at some of your idols. Uh, thirdly, Sabbath must be planned for and guarded. This is what was the genius behind God kind of setting a day a week where like the whole culture Sabbath on the same day. You, under, you realize how difficult this can be at times, right? So you would, hopefully you would say that me as a pastor, I do work. Right? I work hard? No? Anyone? Okay, hopefully, I know in my own heart that I work as hard as I possibly can. Okay? I feel that it's real work. Right? You can, you can be lazy at it. I know that too. But I feel like this is, this is work. But I tell you, if I don't plan and, and for and guard my Sabbath, like Sunday is not my Sabbath. I love you guys, but this is still work. And it's hard work at times. And so me and my family, we, we try to figure this out. Friday is generally my Sabbath. 
We move it around a little bit. We've done that so we can, the majority of Fridays, we can get together as an entire family because often Dinah will get Fridays off of school. They will Sabbath as a school, believe it or not. So that's why we do it that day. But if I don't guard that and I don't plan for that, that never happens. I mean, even when I do plan it and guard it, it still is hard work to keep that free. I, I don't know if you realize this, but, but we have a propensity towards busyness. Even when we're lazy, we do it in a busy way. Right? Even when we're lazy, play video games all day, we organize our day so that we can maximize our video games. Okay? So we're just bent that way. But I, I guarantee you, if you don't start putting this in your schedule and you don't start planning for it and you don't start guarding it, it will never, ever happen. The days are gone. We do have freedom in Christ, which I think is good. Some of us, actually, I feel like we could use the old way where God just says, this is the Sabbath, no, 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 no other way about it. But God, I think, I believe, allows us to choose our Sabbath day. I think Sunday is still a great day to Sabbath, by the way. Still one of the best days to Sabbath. I think you've got to treat Sabbath like any other work day. Like you don't, you don't feel like, okay, well, I'll work if I have nothing better that comes up. Like how many of you would have your job if that's how you treated your work day? Your boss said, well, I need you to work Monday through Friday. Well. Okay, I'll do that, boss. But if something else comes up, I just want you to know I'm probably going to go for that. That wouldn't work very well in your job. And so what I think we need to do is just guard it that same way. Just say, it's Friday and it doesn't move. And I plan for this. Fourthly, Sabbath was made for us. We were not made for the Sabbath. This is what Jesus actually said. Because there was there were there were the Sabbath police. And this is what I'm hoping never happens at Urban Grace. That there's a Sabbath keeping club at Urban Grace that literally is hunting for Sabbath breakers. You know, and there's a big sign that when you walk through Urban Grace on, on Sunday morning for a service, there's a big sign that lights up that says Sabbath breaker is a way to embarrass you in the Sabbath Sabbath thing. No, that's I'm hoping there's nothing like that here at Urban Grace. That's not the point. Because Jesus said, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. The reason why Jesus said that is because we are loophole people. We, we, we think this is about keeping God happy. We think this is about making God believe that we're really dedicated to him. I'll give you a list on present day. This is present day. I did a little study there are 39 basic rabbinical laws that constitute work on the Shabbat or Sabbath. Okay? And these come from years of trying to interpret Sabbath. Now, don't laugh, because some of these seem outrageous to you. So literally, if you want to follow God properly, you will find a way um, to follow these 39 basic rabbinical laws that constitute work on the Sabbath. They include planting, plowing, Reaping, gathering, sorting, kneading, so like putting your knuckles into dough, shearing, 
Some of you have struggled breaking the Sabbath with shearing, I know. Dying, not like dying like, uh, but like dying wool. Okay, again, a lot of you are going to really have to repent about dying wool on the Sabbath. <laughs> Making two loops. <laughs> like as in like, you are a seamstress and you make two loops and you put them together. That's breaking the Sabbath. Separating two threads. Untying. Don't get a knot in your shoe on Sabbath. Smoothing or sanding. Like rubbing your, rubbing your hand along and making sure it's smooth constitutes work on the Sabbath. Writing. Pushing a pen on a paper. Measured cutting. So I guess you can cut things just as long as you don't measure once, <laughs> cut twice, right? Erasing. More than two characters. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Demolition. You can't wreck things on your Sabbath. You can't extinguish a fire or ignite a fire. Modern day understandings of this include not being able to drive, since that actually uh, uh, violates multiple laws, including igniting a fire and traveling too far. Some communities actually, some Orthodox communities, actually put up barriers that prevent uh, people from driving around in their communities in modern day Sabbath prayer. Like literally, it's like, you know those little spike belts? <laughs> like we're going to lay down a spike belt and make sure nobody breaking the Sabbath. <laughs> literally, I'm not even kidding about this. There are some communities, the article said, some communities will throw rocks at anyone who breaks the Sabbath. Let's review here. So you're allowed to throw rocks at a car, but not allowed to drive that car. Now, I'm not making fun of anyone who's Orthodox Jewish here. What I am saying is, classic case of you thinking you were made for Sabbath, not the Sabbath was made for you. Okay? Don't laugh, because some of you will find yourself in this. You will find yourself, in trying to keep the Sabbath, much more concerned with what's work and what's not work. Can I return this email? Can I not return that email? Can I return this text? Oh, I hate that person and it's work, so I don't want to re- you know, return that text. That phone call will bother me, so I won't return it. You know, and you will find yourself way more concerned with this stuff than you think you are. You will struggle, and, and, and someone else will be like, I'm doing this on my Sabbath, you know. The thing is, for some people, that would be breaking their Sabbath, because I, I think, like, if you're a carpenter and you're sanding on your Sabbath, you're likely breaking the Sabbath, because you're doing work that you could probably wait. If you work in a cubicle, and the only hobby you have is carpentry, and it relaxes you and brings you closer to Jesus in your sanding, I'm pretty sure it's not breaking the Sabbath for you. Same activity, but a different mindset towards it. One mindset that says, I was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to help me. Okay? Hopefully that's, that's getting clear to you. Even when Jesus, you know, they cornered Jesus on this all the time. If you look at this, there's huge Sabbath fighting going on in the New Testament. <laughs> Okay, so these, the, the teachers of the law who had come up with all these things, they followed Jesus around with their little field notes. 
And they're writing down every time they think he's breaking the Sabbath. And this is what's crazy. So Jesus goes in, he heals the guy, and they're like, ooh, is he going to heal him on the Sabbath or not? They're like, heal! Did you not see the healing part of this? Like, heal a person from being, like, crippled for 40 years, and you are worried about whether or not this is actually his work, because as the Savior, that is his job? What? This is why in Matthew, or actually Mark 3, 4 to 6, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save a life or kill? There is actually part in the Sabbath. You could save someone's life. You didn't just weren't allowed to, you were commanded to break the Sabbath on purpose and say, I'm going to go heal, or I'm going to go save someone's life. But they didn't consider it saving his life. Plus, they didn't like Jesus, and so they were trying to catch that. But they were silent, of course. What else would they say? And he looked around at them with anger. I mean, this is Jesus, compassionate Jesus. He looks at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. His hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Can you believe that? No wonder Jesus was grieved and angry. He was like, I cannot believe this is what I have to spend my time doing. I have to spend my time listening to you natter behind my back about whether or not this is breaking the Sabbath, and you forget I've made the Sabbath. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I designed this thing. And you've got it all wrong. You think that I made it to kind of squish you into a little box instead of realizing what I did make it for. And that is, Sabbath helps straighten out who we worship. You begin to tell your friends, this is the day I set aside where I find rest, where I find uh, strength in my God where I recharge my spiritual batteries, where I set aside a whole day that's dedicated to allowing God to do what he wants to do with my life, to remember all the good things that he's done in my life this past week, to read, to pray, to spend time with family, to, to reorder what's going on in my life, people will begin to say, there is someone who really believes in their God. I guarantee you. And that's exactly what the Sabbath was designed to do. It was designed to create an entire culture of people who said, we don't worship or live by the world's rules. We live by God's rules. How many times have I literally said to people something and they'll go, oh yeah, I need to remember that more. It's one of the reasons why God gives us Sabbath. He says, if you put this into your way of living, you will remember who is in charge every week. And it will be very hard to eliminate this from your lifestyle. See, the opposite is true. I think when we don't Sabbath and we, we, we don't kind of really find out who we worship, the truth is our default is we'll always worship someone other than God. Our default. That's what the Bible says. All are sinners. That's the default way that we go. No one I know sits on the couch, does nothing, and then one day wakes up and finds themselves totally in love with God. I don't know anyone like that. I know the opposite. 
Because our default is away from God. And we need something outside of ourselves to reorient us towards God. And so that's why on Sabbath I recommend things like, honestly, I recommend writing, journaling. I recommend lots as much silence as possible. I recommend reading scripture or things that, that, that you're learning about God. I recommend quietness. I recommend turning off your flipping phone for a bit. Believe me, the world will be able to go on without you for at least six hours. I recommend not returning emails. I recommend getting out and enjoying the mountains. We live an hour away from some of God's greatest handiwork. See how cool this could actually be if we had a, a group of people that once a week said, we're just going to separate ourselves from our world and our life and our work for a bit. We're just going to rest in God for a day. Some of us are going to do it together. Some of us are going to do it alone, depending on introvert, extrovert. I think there's lots of freedom here. And again, what I'm hoping is at the end, some of you go, man, I'd really like to set I'd really like to do this. This sounds like it could really help me. Yeah. Right answer. This is, this is what's missing from my life, is I missed out on how helpful this was supposed to be for me. Lastly, Sabbath is designed to point us to Jesus. Again, if we don't get this into our heads, that Sabbath is about reconnecting with Jesus. Most of the time, you and I sin is because what? Because we forget in that moment, what the gospel really is. Most of us, all of our temptations can basically be drawn back to this. The serpent, or our lives, or our habits going, did God really say? And we need to hear, yes, God really said. We need to hear his word in our life. We need to hear his instruction in our life. And if you for a second think that Sabbath is about just stopping work, I think you've missed everything this morning. The point of Sabbathing, clearing off a day in our schedule, is so that we can once again connect with Jesus. Jesus who created us, who paid for our sin, who secures our identity, who provides everything we need for us, who is the giver of real joy, you know, I really begin to wonder, um, for those of us that struggle with joy, if it's not deeply connected to Sabbath. Because a lot of what would happen, if you don't work and you just sit around, you ever had a snow day? Anyone ever had a snow day? What do you do? You sit around and you're like, oh, that's, that's kind of a cool world out there. You discover some things about yourself and life that, that are, are quite unique. Because you don't do anything for a day. Kind of enjoyable, isn't it? You probably do some things that you haven't been getting to do, and not all of it's work. So I want you to think about your Sabbath. It's a snow day. Snow day for you, just for you. From God, you're welcome. But it's designed to bring us to Jesus. So, this is what I'll say finally. Practice. Figure out uh, 
lastly, figure out what works for you. How do you get connected to Jesus? What does it take for you? What does it take for you? What do you need to do? Do you need to go out to the mountains? Do you need to get be alone from people? Do you need to be with people? What can you do in a special way that's unique from the other four days that you can say, well, I'd really like to listen to more of my Bible and read more of my Bible or, or, or read this book about what Jesus is doing in my life. Hey, that's a perfect thing to do on your Sabbath day. What this sometimes translates is, this is a day to catch up on all the seasons you've that, that have just been recently added to Netflix. Okay? Often, often the entertainment in our world takes away from our attention and focus on Jesus. So at times I believe that means like shutting that off too. Not just movie day. Not just computer game day. Not just PlayStation day. This is like plugging in. This is a big mistake I've made. You know, I've done so well at not working or whatever. It's like, at the end of the day, I'm not really close to Jesus. I haven't really connected to Jesus because I haven't paid attention to those things. For me, one of the best things for me to do is to spend a lot of time just talking with my, my wife. That really connects me back to Jesus. It's one of my favorite things to do with her, is just to talk. But to do that, um, honestly, I, I can't do that in town very easily. I really struggle with that. So when we can, we just take off to the mountains. And by the time we hit basically kind of that Petro-Canada, our mind starts to fade to Calgary. You guys all go away <laughs> for a little while. I disengage. I talk with my wife. I realize how great it is to be a dad. I realize what an awesome wife I have. I realize how great my city is, how cool the mountains are. I realize some things that I need to correct in my life. That's what works for me, friends. And I, I, I've noticed, like, find out what works for you. You have some freedom here. You have some freedom here. Secondly, I would say, take it seriously. Get into scripture. Do a little word search on your Sabbath about Sabbath. Say, so I really want to grow in this area. You'd be amazed how often this comes up. There's some good books written. One of them I would recommend is Marva Dawn's book called uh, uh, Keeping the Sabbath Holy. That builds some rhythms in your life that you do every Sabbath. Like I said, I go for a two-hour walk. I journal four pages. I read an entire book of the Bible. Something that you do. Yes, you can still do stuff on your Sabbath. But you're doing things that are not the work that you do. And that orient you towards Jesus. And lastly, remember the point of the Sabbath. Remember the point of the Sabbath. Remember that this is not about you keeping the Sabbath. This is about God giving you a gift to reorient your life to Him. Okay? Remember that. And keep going back to that. Even write that down if you have to. Like, I've got to remember the point of this. And that is a big one for me. I have to remember the point of that. It's not to simply stop answering texts or emails from my church. That's not the point of that. And it's why on, at times you will find, on Fridays especially, if you text me, you will not see red 258 on your iPhone. I don't know what galaxies do now, but because I'm working hard to keep 
this day clear to reorient my life to Jesus. And that's the point of that. As we finish this day, some of you maybe are convicted, probably because I am. I've got work to do here. I don't know if I have a lot of to say about Sabbath. I've got things to figure out here. Some of you just got it. That's awesome. <laughs> but if you're feeling condemned by Scripture, let me just say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this, this does not show up in the text to simply get the people back into this legalistic understanding. What I want you to hear is there's something, something in your life that, that needs to be dealt with. So deal with it. Come forward, take communion, not as a way of bringing condemnation, but remember that Jesus does not send those who love him to hell for Sabbath breaking. In fact, he actually said there's a lot of room. One of the reasons that I thought is Jesus has so much grace sometimes I've taken it for granted. And so take and be reminded this, this table after that we celebrate together is an act of grace by Jesus that has said this is... Your, your closeness to God is not dependent on whether or not you do this. It's dependent on God. But he does say, do it. Do it. And so our tradition here is simply the first person up, come and, and, and break the bread. The bread represents the broken body of Jesus that established. Remember, this, is, this Jesus is the one who sent the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one in charge. And the, the cup here is the shed blood that represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian here this morning, these are not magical elements that you can come and simply wash your sin away with. That's something that only the Holy Spirit of God can do through His Son, Jesus. And so I would say, if you're not a Christian, please don't partake of these as a way to magically bring Jesus into your life. Instead, believe in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then partake as a way to celebrate and authenticate that belief. Would you do that? Talk to you.